Welcome to One of Us is Lying, the podcast where, well, one of us is lying. We'll be telling either historical stories, ridiculous conspiracy theories, or some deeply confusing combination of both each week. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Jada. Hi. Yeah, that works. I'm Marie. I'm the other co-host. Um, and this is One of Us is Lying, the podcast where, well, we lie to you. Um, sometimes. Only one of us lies to you, if, in case you didn't catch that from the title. But we will be covering history conspiracies and some weird combination of both each week. And yeah, yeah. I think that kind of sums us up pretty well. So we've gotten feedback that it's confusing. We've so. only gotten, yeah, actually, we, we, yeah, we've been told it's a little bit confusing. It's okay, though. We That's kind of the point, though. Unless you, like, leave a little bit questioning. I don't know if we did our job well enough. Yeah, you should be confused about which one of us is lying. And if you're not confused, proud of you. You know how to fact check. So fantastic. <laughs> so Jada, yeah. let's do a vibe check. How are your vibes? My vibes? They're at a oh wait, no vibes aren't auras. I can't say it's a color. No, you no, <laughs> you can you can combine them because your aura is the vibrations you're putting out into the world. So what color are your vibes this week? Uh, I kind of want to say like a light tan. Interesting. Light tan. Yeah. Is I'm that like a chill? Okay. Relax. That's a, have you ever uh, had your aura red? Because that's not typically no. a color. Okay, I was gonna say that's not typically okay. a color. But like I, I like it. That's the personal interpretation. So your vibes are a light tan. So you're <laughs> Wait, chilling. Hold on. What are the standard colors of aura checks? <laughs> <laughs> they generally fall somewhere in line with the chakra colors. Okay. That still means nothing to me, but thanks for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yellow. We'll go with a tan as a variation of yellow. That's fine. We'll count it. I wanted to say yellow, but I didn't think because ye- yellow is too cheery. I don't know. It's fine. It's I'm a, a beige. A- My personality is beige. Like, <laughs> well, that's okay. This sounds it's like a sensible. This- it's mature. It can go on anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best neutral backdrop. Yep, that's me. <laughs> well, I feel like this is an improvement from last week or the yeah. last episode, technically. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we're re-recording this because last we tried it once and we didn't really like it. Like, I wasn't a fan of my story. So Cody has been kind enough to tell me her story again while I tell her a brand new story. So, I'm excited. It's story time for me. Jada just has to suck it up. Yeah, it's fine. I don't remember. I, like, literally, if I don't edit the episode, your story goes right out my brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. My vibes are good enough. Um, yeah, quarantine is a time. My city's actually opening up, which is going to be interesting. We open up on Tuesday. Fully? Yeah, like they're opening bars. Phase three resta- fully? I believe so. They're opening up bars, restaurants, everything. So that's mm. going to be a time. Mind you, mind you, we went on lockdown very early and we've had less than 30 confirmed cases and only like yeah. 15 of them were hospitalized. Mm-hmm. So, like, we've been semi-open this entire time because we've just were not hit. Because who goes to Fresno? Why? Why would you be here? <laughs> I ask myself this all the time. So, my vi- my vibes are looking up. The vibes are looking up. Um, long work weeks because there are no boundaries when you work from home. But, there and it isn't. Also- and I keep telling you to stop and then you keep refusing. See, my, hear me out. The reason I have less boundaries is because also none of my coworkers and the people I work with have boundaries. And my boss even called us all out. She's like, hi, all of you are perpetuating a very sick, ugly cycle. 
and I don't like it. She's like, why mm-hmm. is why is everybody responding to emails at 9 p.m.? None of you will believe your computers if you're always getting emails. So yeah. I'll also say it's very common among younger people and like recent graduates. So if you are a recent graduate, like you're allowed to take breaks, like you're allowed yeah. to go on a fucking 15 minute walk. In fact, you're legally obligated to if you live in the state of California. So, yeah, take your break, take your lunch, sign out at 530 or whenever you need to. Like the world does not end when your day ends. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. You only get yelled at a little bit and then they get over it. And I say that as someone who is an workaholic. Like, I find it really hard to deconnect. Oh, yeah. Jada's telling me to have boundaries. And I texted her at one point. I'm like, hey, what are you up to? She's like, I'm working. I'm like, it's 8 p.m. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's really the pot calling the kettle black, but we do it with love and affection and hopes that one of us will be better than the other person. It's fine. I think this is how this is our like circle of health. Like I tell you to be healthy. And then when you're healthy, you tell me to be healthy. It's <laughs> it's true. It's you know, it's, it's it's attempts. It's attempts. It's fine. We're doing our very best. And I think the entire world is doing their very best in whatever shape that looks like, because it's hard to take care of yourself during quarantine. It is. And you definitely need to take like a few I like took a day off when I yeah. was still working like mm-hmm. I just I didn't do anything I sat on my couch but it yeah. was definitely a needed break so yeah that was that was pretty much me I took one day off I had one scheduled day that I was taking off because I was originally I'm so sad I was supposed to fly to New Orleans with friends this month and do like a like half week trip and just enjoy and I'll go like travel and like rent a large Airbnb together and clearly that got canceled but I kept one yeah. of the day. I kept one of the days off because I knew I was going to need it. I did need it. And then we got this Monday off, which is nice. Yeah, that is. It's Memorial Weekend right now. It is. So I Have I told you about my planned, my fabled, I guess we haven't actually planned it, my fabled trip, train trip, either to San Diego or to New Mexico? No. Yes, I will be going on a trip somewhere on a train in the future. Oh, that'll be so much fun. I love train rides, honestly. I find them very, like, romantic and fun to look out the windows. And, like, I bring, like, 20 things and then all I do is daydream on them. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean, and also, like, because I'm kind of a free agent at the moment and been thinking of pursuing contract or freelance work, Mm -hmm. I can go pretty much anywhere. Oh, that'd be so fun. You might have the van life before I do. Be the digital nomad. Not a fucking chance. But thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I support you living your best life in whatever variation that is. In a home. That's the variation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your support, but I don't want a van. (laughs) We, okay, if you get a van, I don't, we're not discussing (laughs) this. But that's okay. We can cut the segment about van life again because I brought this up, I think, four episodes. Three episodes now. You just really want a van. It's fine. Do you want to tell me if you were lying last week, Jada? Oh, fuck. I forgot that was part of our fucking show. Hold up. I know. We have a very long intro today. So, yeah, were you lying about space? Space. Space, space, space. No, I was not lying. So, the AAITP is real. So, I think. I just hate that fact so much. It's fair. You don't have to like it. The, the black aerospace. budget and everything. Space. Space episode. Space. 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 Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So that's true. Um, this was a black budget organization in that was created in 2012, I think. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done this in a few weeks, so I'm not as up to date as I was like. But. They did identify three um, UFOs. The Pentagon did recently just 
acknowledge that those were real and that those were released factually. And um, they did a lot of work for three years. They didn't actually, sorry, they didn't do much. They only got 22 million, so they weren't really able to accomplish a lot. But the whole to the stars controversy and them releasing the footage, all of that was true. So if you're interested in learning more, to the stars is still a website that you can go and look at. You can even donate to them if you want. We're not telling you how to spend your money. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not. I'm not pro or negative that I appreciate space and I want people to support it. But also consider donating to NASA. Yeah, if you don't want to, I'm not going to shame you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so on the flip side, that means that I was lying. Kind of. So USA 193, the satellite, was real. It was immediately useless and it was eventually shot out of the sky. The timeline for China testing anti-satellite technology was also true. The thing that is kind of not true is the true purpose as to why this happened. Again, because this is a classified document, we don't actually know what the U.S.'s true purpose was in shooting down the satellite. It very much could have been the official stated like worry about hydrazine and that is the official statement so that is technically the truth um but i think that there is valid concerns that china tested and proved that they could use anti-satellite technology and that there was also potentially a new form of research and um imaging technology on the satellite and that the u.s didn't want it to fall into anybody else's hands and that that's why we shot it out of the sky Again, it's not declared, it's not unclassified, so I could very much just be spewing nonsense by saying that that's what I think, but, like, I stand behind it. Burnt Frost did destroy this, and they say they destroyed it because of the hydrazine, but, like, really, probably not. Conspiracy theory podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Okay, what's our topic this week? So our topic is kidnapping for this week. So some background I have on kidnapping. Uh, Kidnapping is the unlawful transportation and confinement of a person against their will. Kidnapping is what is considered a composite crime, meaning it's a bunch of crimes put together, giving higher sentencing than the individual components. So there are several different types of kidnapping which correspond to their motive. Are there other examples of composite crimes? Like what could be considered a composite crime? Yeah. Is it, like, assault with a deadly weapon versus just, like, assault? Probably. Okay, anyway, that was just a personal question. (laughs) I mean, like, that tracks. (laughs) I'm just curious. I hadn't heard that legal term. Okay, so composite crime, and there are four types of kidnapping. What are the four types of kidnapping? Yeah. So, shanghaiing, which is a historical form of kidnapping where people are kidnapped and forced to become slaves at sea. So, this is a 19th century crime. Uh... Bride kidnapping, which is what it sounds like. Men kidnap women to marry them. Don't like that. Moment moment of silence for terrible people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm-hmm. Express kidnapping, where uh, the kidnapping with an affordable ransom. So, like, $50. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm going to steal your cat for $50, something like that. Um. Tiger kidnapping, which is taking a hostage to make an associate of the victim do something outside of paying money, like stealing documents or opening safes. Okay. So is there an opposite then of the affordable kidnapping? Or like is it like outrageously expensive kidnapping? Yeah, or is that I just think kind that's of just ransoming? Okay. I wasn't sure if that was its own classification. Well, I didn't see anything about it. Okay. Anyway, it also might depend on who they're kidnapping from. 
$5 million yeah. to me is a lot of money. $5 million to Jeff Bezos is not. I'm sure there's also, like, political kidnappings or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Different well, subsets. Wouldn't that be tiger kidnapping? Uh, well, tiger kidnapping is so they can do something. Like, you can still kidnap a political head and ask for money. Um, or Julius you can Caesar? do it to make a statement. Okay, that's like fair. Like, terrorism kidnapping. That would make sense. So, final note, child kidnapping is typically put in a different category because kidnapping is a different motivation. So people who commit child abductions are doing so as a subversion of the legal guardian's parents' wishes and are typically the child's parents as well. So my story kind of falls in line with that. But kidnapping typically involves an exchange of goods or services, while whereas a child abduction is just, I want my kid with me, generally speaking. Cool. My story disagrees with that. So let's hear why yours agrees with it. I mean, there's, they're like, they can be classified. Like yours would be considered a kidnapping, whereas mine's a child abduction. Okay, let's let's hear about your child abduction. Let's see if we can keep this light and funny since we're a comedy podcast. It's not light or funny. Okay. Mine, mine has a happy ending. Mine has a happy ending. Okay, Sorry. I'm glad. Okay. Okay, so my story, <laughs> my story is about the QAnon kidnappings. So, uh, a QAnon, and I'll go into what QAnon is. Thank if you. I don't know what it is. Nope, I don't. Um. Well, it's in, like, the middle of my story, and I have a lot on it, so. Okay, go for it. <laughs> a QAnon believer and a woman, a part of the anti-government movement, conspired to kidnap her own son in a violent raid. So. That was a, can you repeat that sentence? There was a lot going on right there. Okay. A, Q- <laughs> a QAnon believer and the woman and a woman, ah, gosh darn, sometimes I fuck up my grammar. So the reason, fun fact, I looked this up. The last time I did my story and it came up as a point of interest and I was like, ooh, I want to learn about it. And then I looked it up today and there was multiple stories. So QAnon kidnapping is like a thing. Like, it's a thing. People do it consistently. But this is just a particular woman. So Okay, tell me about this particular woman. A QAnon believer and a woman who is a part of the anti-government movement conspired to kidnap her own son in a violent raid. Okay, we can only go up. Tell me more. (laughs) 50-year-old Cynthia Abkub. Abkub? Abkug. Abacadabra? Cynthia A. (laughs) Was arrested and accused with conspiring with at least one other QAnon conspiracy believer to conduct an armed raid to kidnap her son who lived for his own protection in assumed Montana on December 30th, 2019. Is assumed a location or, like, they assumed he lived in Montana? They assumed he lived in Montana. Yeah, I don't... I've heard some weird names of cities in Montana, so I just wanted to make sure. Paris, Texas. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great one. That is is a really good one. Okay. So, the plan was derived after Apcug... I probably should have just used her first name. (laughs) After Apcug suffered from the stress of losing her son... So last, this is very recent. Last spring, her summers were moved after Colorado child welfare officials removed him from her custody. How old is after, the son? They, police actually have not released ages. Oh, okay. So, so they're doing the full privacy for the child. Okay. Yeah. So after her loss, she turned to the internet and was met with comforting embrace of high conspiracy theory and far-right fringe YouTube shows. And then one of the shows she watched claimed the child protective services were a front for the child trafficking rings. Oh, don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're a conspiracy podcast, but we do not support that message. 
Mm, yep, this is QAnon is a lot. Just forewarning. Yeah, I want to do its own thing on it because it's very, very interesting to me. Oh, I'm so down. But it's we a lot. Do, we can do <laughs> Unit 173 and we can do QAnon. Okay. Um, her daughter turned her own mother in when her mother claimed that child protective services were evil Satan, sh- Satan worshippers and pedophiles. Hmm. Okay. So this story starts with Abtug moving to Colorado to seek medical care from her seven-year-old son. For her seven-year-old son. So he's seven. Uh, oh. Fuck. I must have gotten <laughs> that from a cross source. Okay, so you know what happened? Um, you did the official prob- sources, then you did, like, the Reddit posts? No, it was probably from um, the GoFundMe page. Oh, okay. So all she of the official sources... Yes, I'll get into that at the end. Okay. But um, the official sources don't disclose the age, but the GoFundMe page, which was put up by her and her friend, do. So that's they probably why they're... Telling everything. Things. Okay. Yeah. So her assumed seven-year-old son. Yes. Um, Abcook first started contact with the Colorado CPS after they started calling, asking if her son's illness were being misrepresented. So, uh, CPS was worried that her son wasn't actually as sick, or perhaps they were misrepresenting what was going on with her son. So, Cynthia alleged that her son had seizures and a neurological disorder, but courts disagreed. CPS accused Abkug of Munchausen's by proxy, a psychological disorder where typically a person of power or caregiver fabricates an illness and uses that illness to garner sympathy, attention, or gifts. Yep. That one's a time. If you don't know, look up Gypsy Rose. Just look up her entire story. That is a great, great example. uh, Gypsy Rose actually has her own documentary, if you want to. I know she does. In a mockumentary. There's like a TV show, not a TV, a movie on Hulu about her. Mm-hmm. But she murdered her mother, Dee Dee, with the help of her boyfriend after years of this kinds of abuse. Yeah, it, it is a form of abuse, to be clear. It's not just like a psychological psychological disorder. Like, generally speaking, mm-hmm. if you have Munchausers by proxy, you make whoever the proxy is actually ill. Yeah, so by definition, it's a form of child or elder abuse. And even mm-hmm. it can be on against a disabled person. Yeah. So, real messed up, so the courts got involved. Good good on Colorado. Yeah. So, the CPS representative, while not speaking on why Cynthia's son was removed, does state that removal of a child is the literal last resort, and in almost all cases, a child is only removed if the police or court has a firm belief that the child is in danger. Quote, we want children to be with families wherever possible. So, they didn't just remove the child willy-nilly, it was because there was a very clear this is, like, a dangerous case and we need to help the child. Yeah. So, after her son was removed from her care, Cynthia began reaching out to QAnon and other conspiracy groups. So, taking the mild detour that I spoke about before into what QAnon is and why it's pretty critical to the story, but also why it's, like, pretty popular today. Yes, tell me about it, because I have no idea. You're like, you've mentioned it to me once before, but I do not know what it is. Yeah, it's wild. So... QAnon is a recent phenomenon of internet conspiracy that really took place in popular news around 2016 with Pizzagate. Do you know what Pizzagate is? Vaguely, but I don't know why I know it. What is it? So Pizzagate is, 
its own conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring out yes. of a local pizzeria in I Washington. I do remember that. I remember it because I like laughed at it. And I'm like out of okay. Anyway, yes, I remember Pizzagate like getting some attention. So QAnon did that. No. So it was kind of like the the beginning to what led to QAnon being so popular. Okay. So I'm not going to go into Pizzagate specifically, but basically the claim was that there's proof in this email link and I can go more into that story if there's a request for it. But that's basically what you're going to think through is like while it was debunked several times, it led people to believe that you should always believe what you read on the Internet. So a lot of people were so ingrained in their own fantasies that that became believable and that became the standard like you can look for lies in public pop popular media or like there's this group of people who are evil like it allowed for a disenfranchisement for people to start looking for their facts to reconfirm their own beliefs essentially yeah it allowed people to believe that media today is a front for the deep dark disastrous reality and that it's pretty much all lies like you have to look somewhere else for the truth hmm. um more specifically there was this i also i also want to say guys we're not the truth <laughs> it's not us yeah <laughs> please trust the news <laughs> like i get it like i get it but also like i want you to trust me but also like i'm not an investigative journalist i'm not <laughs> <laughs> there are experts we know enough to talk on our topics we're not the experts we will recommend the experts to you yeah i don't even know where to fucking start like if i wanted to investigate something i'd be like ah shit who else has wrote pi- paper about this like i wouldn't <laughs> i have no first person sources no. it's all secondary sources that's what i've got exactly. guys that's all it is <laughs> and if you are a first person source don't come to us i don't or no or do and let us know what we did wrong and like let us talk about that like i would be so interested did something weird happen to you tell me please did you get harmed by aliens i gotta know basically we just want you guys to contact us but also like believe the news maybe like cc the news or something i don't know like let us in right before you like just be like hi by the way i'm releasing this with like a reputable news source tomorrow but like i wanted to let you guys know that this is what's happening like that yeah, i'd be cool. down for that yeah Would love and support that like you can cc your lawyers on it and everything like an early media release anyway okay <laughs> okay so don't trust the media. so qanon said don't trust the media find your sources elsewhere everything's a lie no pizzagate allowed people to believe that that was okay okay mm, yeah cool great so this group of people who kind of be- believed that it was okay soon rallied behind a social figure only denoted as Q. So, Q was an anonymous social media figure able to spread these types of conspiracy theories that stoked the flames within extremists and violent actors. So that's where he got his name, QAnon. Nobody really knows who Q is. And, and he's. I'm sorry. It, I want to clarify that is he or they different? They. 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 Yeah. Are they different than the very famous Anon group? They are. Okay. I I do want to make that clear because I know Anon is like, I'm not going to support them or like shit on them, but like they are similar. Yeah. Anonymous. Yeah. They're anonymous. Activist group. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I wanted to clarify that they're not related. No, no, no. So Q's first appearance was in 2017 on 4chan with 
basically an official sounding comment stating that Hillary was going to be arrested. So Q asserts that they are a military official or intelligence officer with Q level clearance, which is why he has the authority and access to high, highly sensitive information to make claims such as these. Is there such a thing as Q level clearance? Who knows? Okay. It's so I won't really, I don't want to say if it's true or not, but I do. If anybody has security clearance, clarify for us. I'll try to ask someone if I know anybody with security clearance, but I, I don't know how security clearances work. I don't know if it was by letters, but okay. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know if it's by letters either, but I do think that this, like this particular case of like QAnon, there hasn't really been a definitive like this is why it's a real person like it's very like no one has taken this source seriously except these extremists okay that's that's the important part no one takes them seriously except for the people that are looking to take them seriously exactly which is why it's a conspiracy theory okay so continue uh so a common thread among q's appearances is the dis- is dissemination of fake news or inciting a distrust of the public pillars which we have in place today so this can be in the form of looking for alternative sources of news, some with less than golden records of accuracy, um, distrust of common news sources like CNN or New York Times, currently being shamed as fake news. Um, and that, so like one of the threads that I found was that um, do your own research. But when you no. do your own research, don't look at popular media research, look at your own fringe research. So... Hmm. It's this balance of, I want to know the truth, but I don't want your truth. I want my That's truth where it's coming confirmed. From. Yeah. yeah. So some people even think that Q is Trump, and he's leading the charge against negative forces in the government, <laughs> and the first step was getting elected. <laughs> I just really want to know who thinks Trump has time to not only run his Twitter account, but also a 4chan account. Like, do you not just think that one of his interns does this if you want to link it back all the way up to the top? <laughs> yeah, like, Q is just one of his... Well, there's also... There's a lot of wild theories, right? So a lot okay, of people... sorry. Not a just... lot of people. Some people think that John F. Kennedy's son is Q, so he's not actually dead. <laughs> okay. Again, we still have to get to the Kennedys. Like, that has to be a topic at some point. <laughs> just the family. The Kennedy <laughs> curse. Like, it's it's weird. It's so weird. Hmm. Okay. So Hayes, the most public Q supporter out there, states that who, Q... Who is the most public supporter? Hayes. It's like a YouTuber. Okay. Yeah. No. So, yeah, that's right. I also don't know who it is. <laughs> um, he states that Q is an open source intelligence operation designed by patriots fighting corruption inside the intelligence community, also known as the deep state. Wait, are they... Is- is this where the term deep state was coined from? Um, I think deep state came from like 2016 election era. Okay. Um, but I think that they probably co-opted it. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So lots so of I'm gonna, opinions and thoughts. I'm going to stop here because Q, like it's a very in-depth, there's a lot of information here and it deserves its own episode. But if you're interested in hearing more about it, you know, let me know. It's... It's really I, interesting. I had a great time learning about it, but it's kind of too much to do here. The, basically, you gave us the basics that we needed to know for the rest of this kidnapping. Yeah, it's a it's a person 
we don't know who it is. There's been no verified sources. A lot of people speculate a lot of things about who, he, who they are. And then, too, a lot of it is leaning towards a right-wing agenda. So, like, not, not like, regular Republican. Like, far right-wing, the liberals are trying to kill people, right-wing. Like, okay. not, not... <laughs> the extremists. Not regular. The, the extremists. Extremist, like, very, very far extreme right Right-wingers. Okay. Okay. So how does QAnon play in? And so QAnon inspired and was a safe haven for Christine, Krista, Cynthia. Mrs. Abracadabra. Cynthia A. Great <laughs> <laughs> so things, guys. Yeah, Cynthia was seen on talk shows and articles off other places that were affiliated with QAnon and the Patriot Movement. Okay, because I was gonna, my first immediate thought was, who would put her on the news? Who would put her on a talk <laughs> show? No, so basically what happened was she turned to conspiracy theories after her son was taken away. Okay. And then she kind of went down the rabbit hole of QAnon is the source of truth. Okay. Okay. So, and one of these many talk shows, she claimed that she once believed in the government and that she didn't distrust the system. Uh, She was the one who welcomed CPS in, not expecting their decision. And a quote from her is, if someone would have told me their child was removed by CPS, I would have definitely been in the population that said, well, there's more to the story. So she originally CPS takes children away if you're really, really bad. Well, no, she's basically saying, like, if you said your children were taken away, then like you did something that got your. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't she doesn't believe that she did anything wrong. She thinks that her child was taken unjustly. Okay. In an interview with SGT Report, a YouTube channel that is pro-QAnon and has over 600,000 followers, uh, she claimed that the Colorado welfare system took her child illegally, and that's why she turned to conspiracy theories. She's she's alleging that CPS is a front for... Child trafficking. Child trafficking. So, Cynthia made her own social media accounts and and started to share memes about a government-funded child trafficking operation including QAnon. Okay. So um she this these is tweets, now, this is like her conspiracy now. It's it doesn't belong to her, I guess. She didn't originate it, but she is following these threads um that other QAnon followers would disseminate, okay. basically. So in these tweets and these memes, she would also use I lost my place in my notes. She would also use calling cards like where we go one, we go all. Which is like a very common thing. Um, I don't know what the fuck it means. So the thing about QAnon is that the reason QAnon kind of got so weirdly famous was because all of its bullshit. Like, I don't really want to make that statement because, you know, do your own research. I don't I don't really want to make that the thing. But um a lot of it's like cryptic riddle bullshit. It's culty. Yeah. Like a lot of it's like do your own research or um, just a lot of things where it's like it sounds cool, but you're literally saying nothing. Okay. Like liberty's dead. Things like that. It's like cool. Great. It's a strong statement. You got nothing else. Like words sound nice, but there's nothing beyond that. Okay. So she got very into this. She got really, really into it. This is unfortunately marked by the down downslide for Cynthia. After her 
After her son was removed from her care, Cynthia stopped going to therapy and would only leave the house to go to QAnon meetings or to the shooting range. So, hmm. she, she <laughs> did not do the work to get better. No. Um, soon after this, a man named Ryan moved into her home in Colorado for self-defense and escorted the family everywhere. So, her daughter claims that Ryan was a part of the QAnon group. And Ryan My favorite that he is, was, do we know how do we know how old her daughter is? Like she got a small child taken away. Why did CPS not take her other child? I so I understand that the boy seemed like he was the bearer of most of the abuse as far as like the Munchausers, but like Yeah. I imagine so she was a mother of four. Her two children had moved out of her house. So okay. she moved away with her two youngest children. I so imagine there's a chance that this daughter is older. Yeah. I probably <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much older she is, but clearly old enough, old enough to, to know. Old enough to call the cops on her mom. Yeah, old enough to know, like, hey, this is kind of bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan moved in a secret, secret security because, you know, they're being threatened. Yeah, so Ryan claimed that he was a former military or police officer. And, yeah, unclear as to what he was. And told Cynthia he was a retired sniper. Okay. Yep. A lot of there's a marks. lot of. I was also gonna say there's a lot of people I would hire for security. I don't know if I'd hire a sniper. Yeah, really not the most tactical of all the things. No, I kind of want someone who like specialized in hand to hand combat. Mm-hmm. If you're a bodyguard, like, what are you gonna do? Stand in front of me? Like, <laughs> that's all you are got. You... <laughs> okay, so he was he was implying in a very very impressive resume. Yeah. So Cynthia began openly discussing the raid with her daughter, who still lived with her. And her daughter claimed that Cynthia did not know where her son was being held. But QAnon claimed they did. Great. So, Great. Uh, Someone, someone's getting raided, and we don't know who. Yeah, just to highlight this point, it's that's, like, really fucked up. Basically, this group of people were telling her, like, we know where your son is being held. But there's no evidence that they did. And it's not necessarily... Like, I would say it's very unlikely that they knew. It feels like from reading these stories that they were playing her and they were trying to get her to buy into this grand conspiracy theory of this child pedophile ring without yeah. any actual evidence of it. So. Okay, so she starts talking about this with her daughter. Mm -hmm. Cynthia discussed, uh, Cynthia's discussions began to escalate and she would openly speak of people dying in this planned raid. Um, according to her daughter, Cynthia did not mind hurting these people because they took her son wrongfully and the perpetrators are evil saint worshippers and pedophiles. So, basically, she said these people are gonna die. <laughs> Great. That was the alleged claim. So, this is the point where her daughter began to worry more, I guess. On September 26th of last year, 2019, she revealed to police that her mother had gotten into some conspiracy theories and was spiraling. Uh, her primary concern was how many weapons had made their way into the household and her mother's mental health. After speaking to police, they removed her daughter from the home and attempted to arrest Cynthia. Mm -hmm. In the police investigation, they discovered conspiracy paraphernalia and rubber bracelets, so like the Livestrong ones, saying QAnon or a popular QAnon Twitter account. They have merch. Yeah. So QAnon is actually very widely merched. Like, you can buy a lot of QAnon stuff. I'm not going to, but good to know. Yeah, don't. I don't know. No, okay. So, 
lots of merch, lots of lots of guns, lots of other scary paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. So given that her daughter was removed from her custody, Cynthia was compelled to attend an emergency custody hearing on September 30th, which mm-hmm. she skipped. And then on October 1st, Cynthia cut ties with law enforcement and stopped returning police calls. So she <laughs> went silent. AWOL. Completely. Yeah. Okay. So on December 30th at 3 p.m., the FBI arrested Cynthia for conspiracy to kidnap and was charged with a felony. And she is currently out on bail, which is posted at $50,000. So currently she is receiving funds from QAnon supporters through her GoFundMe page, which her best friend Asha Patterson created. And then Patterson believes that these actions were taken because QAnon allowed her to have a platform to speak on her son and she had no choice but to take it. So there's currently been no action, especially since the courts are closed at this moment. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I saw was like March 16th. She was supposed to appear in court on March 16th, but the world has been shut down since then. So your story is a wild time. Mm-hmm. Shout out to both of her kids for getting taken out of her custody. It sounds like shout out yeah, to the also, daughter for wrecking. Very proud of her daughter for just yeah, being like, honestly. I don't want this to happen. Like you need to stop. Yeah, shout out to her daughter for recognizing how bad that was and how bad that was getting and getting help because that's yeah. so hard. Like, good for her. Mm-hmm. Like, at any age, really. It's really impressive. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So, like, that's fantastic. Yeah, okay, we can we can kind of count your story as a happy story. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, the, the kids the are children fine. are safe. The and the raid didn't happen. didn't happen. And as far as I know, the like police are keeping tabs on her. So, yeah, the FBI got involved. So clearly it's like a watched thing. Yeah. And also, like, just to know, QAnon is considered a domestic terrorist group. I was going to say they sound like one. Yeah. So I looked up QAnon kidnappings because when I was doing my original story, I this popped up. And then when I pivoted, I ended up doing this and multiple stories came up. So Mm. when I had started my research, I was actually doing the wrong kidnapping. Because I didn't realize that I wasn't doing this one. I thought they were all the same one. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, damn. So, Jada did a really cool, relevant, awesome one. Yeah, um, with also Q recent. Anon. Like, very recent. Yeah, very recent. I'm gonna flip that on its head, be incredibly basic, do an old crime, and I'm gonna do the crime of the century, aka the Lindbergh baby. It's gonna be so sad. <laughs> so, so, I don't know about you, but... It, yeah, Jada's is as close as we're getting to a happy story on this podcast this week. Take that how you will. We're still comedy. So anyway, I didn't know shit about the Lindbergh case. Like I had heard about it. I knew it was a baby. I knew it was a kidnapping. That was it. Like I had no like nothing else. So I picked that because I wanted to know. <laughs> so on March 1st, 1932, Charles Lindbergh Jr., a 20 month old was kidnapped from his family mansion in Hopewell, New Jersey. It was an immediate sensationalized story that hit America very, very hard. So, baby. Baby kidnapping. (sighs) Okay, most of the reason for this is, like, for the sensationalism was because of who the baby's father was. Charles Lindbergh was an American hero, or, like, nah, I'm I'm gonna stick with the word hero, because he was an American aviator, military officer, author, inventor, and, of course, because, you know, this is America in the 1930s, let's fucking ruin it. He was a Nazi sympathizer. Five degrees to Hitler. <laughs> I 
every time we do stories in the past, it's five degrees to Hitler, and it makes me so sad. <laughs> it's yeah, I don't, I don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna leave a lot of the Nazism off of this story because it's not relevant till the end. It's just sad. So, <laughs> it's just very sad. It's just very sad. So. It's also, like, I do want to say, even though he was technically a Nazi sympathizer, he never said anything, he never publicly supported, and he did fly 50 missions in World War II against the Nazis. But his opinions and views on Nazi beliefs did lead to him resigning from the Air Force, where he was a colonel. Anyway, not the point, not the point. I don't want to focus on that because it makes me sad. <laughs> he was originally a USA or US airmail pilot, but the reason he's as famous as he was is because he won the Orteg Prize. The Orteg Orteg. The Orteg Prize was a $25,000 reward, which is now equivalent to $369,000 on May 22nd, 1919. And it was for the first Allied aviator or aviators to fly nonstop from New York City to Paris. This was a big flipping deal because no one had ever made that flight. Like, never it happened. So, Charles Lindbergh flew solo in an aircraft called the Spirit of St. Louis, backed by bankers in St. Louis. In 1927, at the age of 25, he flew 33 and a half hours over the 3,600 miles in a single-engine plane. To make it a lighter flight and an easier journey, he dumped out all the extra possible weight in his aircraft, including a parachute. He did that so he could, like... Pick, uh, so he could fill everything else up with, like, fuel so mm-hmm. to make sure that there would be, like, some issue. But, like, imagine being, like, I don't know, so confident or so accepting that, like, you throw away your parachute. Wait, but also, like, did he... Ha- where did he touch down to refuel? That's the thing. He didn't. Oh, he was just, like... There was no refueling. Hoping? He was... Ref- no, no, no. He was... They used to refuel during the flight. Awful awful yes this is why it's insane like this was truly a feat of engineering and like sheer balls of steel um Mm -hmm. and he also took off in condition that conditions that other pilots wouldn't fly in because they had just started clearing up so they weren't considered ideal like conditions but it meant that he met better weather later in the flight so Charles Lindbergh was famously quoted as saying, what kind of man would live where there is no danger? I don't believe in taking foolish chances, but nothing can be accomplished by not taking a chance at all. So, like, balls of steel on this man, honestly. Yeah, always ready to die, I suppose. (laughs) That's truly the confidence of a 25-year-old right there. So That's fair. Never think you can die when you're 25. No. So he was the first... (laughs) It probably is. I'm sure we could find some emo acoustic song about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his first flight was the was the first solo transatlantic flight and considered to be the turning point in the development of aviation. He like and when I say turning point, like I mean, there's other pilots quoted saying that all of a sudden airplanes went from being kind of a joke to having businessmen knock on their door saying we want to take commercial flights. We want to fly somewhere. Take us somewhere. Like, this was really the beginning of what we now think of as aviation and, like, commercial aviation. And after this flight... It's so interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, like, think about it. Like, I've taken, like, an international flight. Like, I've flown to Paris, and I'm like, that doesn't seem like a feat to me anymore. But at the time, it was Mm -hmm. huge. This was less than 100 years ago. And he was the first one to do it less than 100 years ago. 
So after this flight, he used his fame and basically did a ton of speaking events, became an author, was an American hero. He was given, and I quote, this is a quote from the New York Times, unprecedented adulation. And he was, people treated him as though Lindbergh had walked on water, not flown over it. Like, people were losing their mind over him. He was honored internationally and so well, yeah, like, losing their mind. He was honored internationally and was so well recognized that the U.S. Post Office issued a 10-cent stamp of him. Which, like, if anybody's a stamp collector, send me a photo. Like, I would love to see, like, the collection. What that stamp looks like. like. (laughs) They've got photos of it, but, like, it would mean so much more to see someone who, like, has it. (laughs) A passion Um, for stamps. (laughs) Please, I I will take it. I will lo- I would love to see it. So, when he came home, over four million people came to see him at the parade they held for him in Central Park. Four million, and he was promoted to rank of colonel and re- was awarded the Medal of Honor. And like in 1928, he was also made Time Magazine's first ever Man of the Year where he was featured on the cover at age 25, which made him the youngest person on the cover ever until Greta Thunberg became the youngest person ever at age 16 in 2019. So not only was he the first, but he was consistently the youngest forever, pretty much. And he is the reason they made a man of the year. Like, he he is the reason we have that legacy. It's really funny to me. It's like, oh, yeah, we none of us have been worthy since him. No, like, we just, no. No one's gotten close to being a 25-year-old with that much just influence and power and, like... We're all shitty. (laughs) Yeah, so Greta overturned that, and she also turned overturned the man of the year and made it person of the year, which is awesome. But, like, basically, the reason I bring all this up is, like, he was very famous, and he was, like, an American household name. He mattered to the American conscious. He mattered to, like, everybody... And this was his baby. So this was his son, Charles Lindbergh Jr., who was nicknamed the Little Eaglet, which is so cute and makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And the Little Eaglet was kidnapped from his home, and in his crib was a ransom note demanding $50,000, which now is worth $736,750. Which I guess it's like not that much money for someone who is revered as strongly as he was. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, this was expensive. This was not cheap, but he was revered. He was a very wealthy man because of what he had done. And Mm -hmm. also, everybody in the U.S. was willing to chip in to pay this ransom. Yeah. Like, everybody was coming forward and offering to help pay because it mattered so much. Outside of the house was a homemade folding ladder that was used to climb into the open second floor window with two broken rungs. The rungs were found on the ground, and which that had implied to the investigators that they'd been broken either on the ascent or the descent. They're not sure, but it was broken. Inside was a muddy footprint that was smeared beyond measure, so it was not helpful, but there was a bloody or a muddy footprint. There was no blood or fingerprints at the, st- at the scene. And again, immediate national spectacle. Like, everybody was offering helps and tips. Like, you know how I just said, like, yes, it's a lot of money, but, like, people were willing to pay and help. Yeah. Al Capone was in prison at this time and offered to reach out to his underworld context to find out who took the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, Did anybody take him up on that? 
I don't know, actually. That would be an FBI question, because the FBI also immediately got involved, and the president immediately got involved. Mm-hmm. Like, newspapers... Like, it was to the point where this was such a, like, front-page everyday news that the newspaper published the diet of Charles Jr. in hopes that he'd be cared for properly while they were figuring out the ransom. Poor baby. Yeah. But the kidnappers still couldn't be reached for a couple days. So even the governor of New York was trying to get in contact. For three days, there was nothing and no word from the kidnappers besides the original ransom note. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, a new letter came through demanding $70,000 or $1.03 million today. This ransom note was mailed to the colonel, so Charles Lundberg, on March 6, 1932 and was postmarked Brooklyn, New York. It took two days for this to get to Charles Lundberg. Like, so it was posted stamps on the 4th and it got there on the 6th, five days after the baby was taken. Mm Mm-hmm. So this, this is a different ransom note? Yeah, so basically there was the first ransom note left in the crib, and then there was no contact, no... Nothing was told of how to get in contact with the kidnapper. There was no drop-off, pick-up, anything. It was just, like, $50,000. Mm-hmm. And then there was this note that was mailed to um, the colonel, and in it, it said, we need more money, and also we want to go between. So we want someone to speak on your behalf for this kidnapping. Mm-hmm. So the first intermediary that was picked was rejected, and the kidnappers did eventually approve a um, an intermediary, and he was a man by the name of Dr. John F. Condon from Bronx, New York, and he was a retired principal. He was the man who ended up receiving the, the next ransom notes. And how they were communicating with the um, kidnappers and Condon was through the newspaper. They were having newspaper columns. When you say ex-principal, you mean like literally like a school principal? He was a school principal. He was a retired school principal from Bronx, New York, who volunteered to help out because someone needed to. And for some reason, the kidnappers agreed to it. And they wanted someone in Bronx because it sounds like that's where the kidnappers were. Okay. I have no other information as to how or why he got picked other than he was the man that was picked. Uh, Yeah, I know. It's helpful. So... On March 12th, 1932, Dr. Condon received the fifth ransom note. So there's been enough contact from the original one in the crib to the second one demanding an intermediary to back and forth between the kidnappers and Condon in the newspaper and just other letters. And it was delivered by a man named Joseph Perron, Perron, a taxi cab driver. He arranged from that letter, there was an arrangement made to meet a mysterious man by the name of John in Woodland Cemetery. Woodland Cemetery is the place given by the FBI. It also might have been St. Raymond Cemetery, which was what the history, like history.com said. I don't know. It was a cemetery. That's where they had to meet because it's It's dramatic and it's fun that way. I don't what know. What made it's, him mysterious? It was in the darkness, dark of night. He only went by John. He would not let him make like full eye contact. Like, I, I don't know. Mysterious aura. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. He was just he was just described weird. as okay. <laughs> just just a little bit shady, a little bit sketchy. Um the cemetery probably didn't help that image. Meeting at midnight didn't help either. Um either way, it was definitely a cemetery. And so John, this man who might be named John, and Dr. Condon exchanged details about the ransom, and Dr. Condon was provided proof of the baby's identity. And to make it very, very sad. It was Charles Lindbergh Jr.'s nightie that he was wearing on the night of the kidnapping that had been made for him by one of his handmaids. Oh. Yeah. That was a little bit sad. So, 
From there, more ransom notes and newspaper printings were sent back and forth, accumulating with another meeting between John and Dr. Condon, where the ransom was paid. It had been negotiated back down to the $50,000 mark, and the $50,000 were stored in a wooden box and paid with gold, and it was to be paid in gold certificates. Um, in exchange for the money, John gave Dr. Condon instructions to find a boat. Before I go into details about the boat, I do want to say that Dr. Condon says that even though this was a mysterious, poorly lit setting, he could recognize this mysterious John anywhere. So on top of the hunt for this boat, there's also a hunt going on for John. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Condon was told the boat's name was Nellie and it was parked near Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Wait, why weren't the cops just there? I think they were, but I also think it was that they couldn't be unless they wanted to risk the baby's life. And they don't know if John is the kidnapper or if John's an associate of the kidnapper. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not clear. But all I can tell you is that um, Charles Lindbergh Sr. was driving the car that dropped John or um, dropped Dr. Condon off at these meetings with John. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It, they don't clarify why the cops didn't just arrest him and, you know, like interrogate him in whatever capacity that cops in New York were going to in the 30s. <laughs> um, That's fair. So, due to the notoriety of the crime, the FBI immediately ha- had, like, a task force this entire time, and everything was being funneled through them. So, when the boat, like, statement and location was dropped, the FBI immediately went out searching. It took over two days of searching before they found Nellie, who was, and it was partially delayed, simply because of the dilapidated nature of the boat. So it was both uncared for, unowned, and untouched. They could not find anything about this boat, and it just didn't look like it was where, like, anything. Um, Inside the boat, though, they found the thumb guard of Charles A. Lindbergh Jr. that he had been wearing the night of his abduction. Mm -hmm. The thumb guard is a little thing that you put on babies to make sure that they don't suck their thumbs, which I didn't know and made me sad. A little thimble. (laughs) A lot of the... Pretty much. It was like a little, like, plastic, like, little bracelet almost. Um, but there was no baby. There was just a thumb guard. So this was believed to be a direct um, taunt, and neither Dr. Condon, the Lindberghs, or the FBI was contacted by the kidnappers again. So despite hundreds of hours of manpower put into finding Nellie, which had been spelled differently in every source that I've looked at, fun fact, some spelled it with a Y, some spelled it with an IE, don't know, it, it was not traceable. And because they could not trace it, the FBI assumed that the case had run cold, because now they were left having paid the kidnapper... Not having the baby, not having a boat, and not being able to find John. Mm-hmm. So nothing had been gained in exchange for that ransom. So instead, more than two months later after the kidnapping, the ch- body of Charles Lindbergh Jr. was found on May 12, 1932, near the Lindbergh's own mansion. It was found by a truck di- driver, and the decomposed body was found in a wooded area alongside the road, less than five miles away from the mansion. He was suspected to have of having been killed on the night of the kidnapping, and the autopsy showed that the baby had suffered a traumatic head wound and had not survived. Experts believed this was likely due to having been dropped by the kidnappers while climbing down the broken ladder. The Lindberghs then donated the mansion to charity and moved out due to their heartbreak. So it was like a very sad situation. Yeah, they were just like, I can't, and left. I. Yeah. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, technically, proof of life had been provided, so it was just, like, very sad to all of a sudden find the baby's body. Now, it's worth noting that a little, like, a little bit 
more information about the actual investigation. So President Franklin D. Roosevelt had given over control to the FBI and said that all banks and local, um, local and federal police must abide by the New Jersey FBI office in regards to this case. And once the communication and ransom demands were hammered down, the FBI sent out information to all banks and all branches of said banks in New York on how to handle the ransom money should it come in. Um, this information was then passed along to the employees at banks, clearinghouses, grocery stores, and in certain communities, insurance companies, gas stations, airports, department stores, post offices, and even telegraph companies. Essentially, there was no... Like, there, everybody knew what to do should this money come in. And the reason this actually worked out is because it was gold standard certificate money, which meant that it was marked an official. And that had just been taken off. Like, the U.S. dollar had just been taken off the gold standard, so it actually stopped being produced. Mm-hmm. Worked out really, really well in this case because in September 1934, a bill that had been marked down for the ransom turned up at a gas station. The reason the attendant even paid attention to this bill was because it was a gold certificate, which I had just talked about, and out of fear that the bill had been a counterfeit because they these dollars had now jumped up in value, mm-hmm. the attendant wrote down the license plate number and of the person who brought in the bill. And then when it was deposited at the bank, the bank and the FBI basically went back to him and said, where the fuck did you get this? So the license plate number tracked back to a German immigrant by the name of Bruno Hopman. Detectives searched his house and found $13,000, $13,750, which is now equivalent to $2,206. Why can't I read math? Why can't I read numbers, Jada? <laughs> numbers are... I hate reading numbers. I really fucking do. I think I'm going to have to start writing them down in actual words because I've now reread this sentence three times. Okay. Detectives search... Bruno Hopman's house and found $13,750, which is now equivalent to $202,606 in 2020 money. <laughs> and these were all, I just, I didn't like that sentence. They found a it's, lot of money. They found a lot of money that was ransom money at this man's house. And that's mm-hmm. all I got. So, due to previous research conducted by the FBI, they were able to confirm that all of the ransom letters had been written by the hand, like, written by the same person. So, on the day of Hopman's arrest, his handwriting was flown straight to the FBI laboratory, which I didn't know, but apparently the word laboratory is capitalized. So, like, there is one FBI laboratory. Like, it's just one. The lab. Anyway. The lab. Um, Dr. Condon said that he would also, as I said, like, he agreed to testify that he would be an eyewitness saying he recognized the mysterious John he'd talked to, and he said that he looked similar to um, Bruno Hopman. Mm-hmm. So, Hopman's, Hopman claimed that a friend had given him the money and that he had no connection to the crime. The friend was a man by the name of Isidore Fisch. Fisch? Yeah. He was another German immigrant. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering that. So, Fisch was a poor, young, but domineering man. He and Hopman had become close friends as they were both German and worked as day laborers. Fish was younger than Hopman, but had convinced him that their only way out of poverty was to pool their assets and to start investing in Fish's fur trading and stocks. It was pretty, like, it was pretty much through Fish that Hopman started investing in the stock market. And again, Hopman is a carpenter by trade. He is very poor, like, very poor. Mm-hmm. And described as quiet and thoughtful, Fish applied for a passport on May 12th, 1932, the same day that the Lindbergh's baby, Charles Jr., was found dead. Oh. 
Yeah. But what a Honest. weird time to request a passport? Or what he was... That's... That, that, it's, it's a weird time. Yeah. A man who was being said that to have given money to Hotman for the, like, the ransom money to Hotman was now applying for a passport to go back to Germany the same day that the Lindbergh baby was found dead. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, on December 9th, 1933, he, Fish shipped back to Germany where he died of tuberculosis on March 29th, Literally, everybody dies of tuberculosis. Yes. Tuberculosis, yes, yeah. influenza. That's, or, That's you know, the, the war. Like... <laughs> or you get influenza or an infection from the war. Yeah. That's it. Or VD, so. which we've discussed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's only a couple way humans die. Um, That's it. And so, That's all you got. That's it. That's, it's really it. Um, so anyway, he died of tuberculosis on March 29th, 1934, which was months before Hopman was even arrested. So he literally got the hell out of Dodge and went back to Germany the like plan to get out of like the u.s the day the baby was found dead mm-hmm. so like so, did they know the baby was like how did the baby get found again a truck driver found him so i think the truck driver pulled over they found him in a shallow grave to the side of the road that it was a baby within like miles of the house so cops were called and then they were then charles Lindbergh senior was able to identify him due to a few birth defects okay mm-hmm yeah, so. Hotman's trial began on January 3rd, 1935, and it lasted five weeks, and the entire case was circumstantial. Mm-hmm. The prosecution's case was this. There was ransom money found at his home. Testimony from handwriting experts tied Hotman's to the ransom notes. There was also an attempt to tie him to the type of wood, which was a t- grain of a yellow pine that had been used in the latter, which was the first time a wood expert had ever been used in a court. The most, like, what the fuck would have, I mean, okay. So I'm sure Wood Expert has a lot of fascinating knowledge, but I just can't. But, like, as an expert witness, why? Yeah, it's like, the, I don't choose a ladder based on what wood it used, and if I did, it I was, would be a sociopath. Like, mind you, it was a homemade ladder, which I think was the argument, and this man was a carpenter, like, Hotman was a carpenter, so I think they were trying to tie him to, like, wood that they had, like, in his, like, I don't know, workspace, but it was a reach and they, they knew it, mm-hmm. but it was the first time that a wood expert had ever been used in the court of law. Um, and then what was doc- he this was like the w- expert. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, but like, what was no he experting on? Like the actual like grain cuts and type of wood. Like, I think he was trying to say that it was like the same type of fucking tree or like the exact same tree. I don't know. He was <laughs> from like the Department of Agriculture and like forestry. Legitimate guy. Just like, I don't know why they brought him in. I think they just didn't have anything. Okay. Um, and so the only kind of real thing they had was the money. And then the weird one was that Dr. Condon's telephone number and address were found scrawled on a doorframe inside of his closet. So it's like suspicious. Mm -hmm. Um, then where it gets really bad is that Charles Lindbergh, who had actively participated in the entire investigation, like every single step had been run through him was brought in as a witness to say that he recognized Hopman's voice on the night that he spoke with the kidnapper. Lindbergh never spoke with the kidnapper. He never spoke with John, like the mysterious John. Only Dr. Condon did. Mm-hmm. Dr. Condon didn't take the stand, from what I could tell. Because he didn't, like, because they didn't want to pin it on him? Like, they never called no. him? Doctor, no, like, they brought Charles Lindbergh in to basically do doc- what would have been Dr. Condon's, like, testimony Mm. to say that charles Lindbergh recognized the voice in the kidnapper he didn't meet him 
So they lied. That's what you're saying. Uh, sure. We can use those words. Um, I will use those words because it's not my case. They lied. <laughs> yeah. So the defense team tried to have the trial dismissed on the grounds of it all being circumstantial. Clearly, it was not dismissed. And then, honestly, in the biggest power move I've ever seen by a defense attorney in my life, or just, like, the biggest power move ever, was the defense team tried to have a minstrel sing before the prosecution's opening arguments to merely be a summation and a desire to inflame the minds of this jury against the defendant before the trial starts. Like, they were literally just going to have someone sing and vocalize for the drama of it all. I hate it. To make the jury feel things. I love it so much. I just love it so much. Again, both motions were denied, so no one got to sing and the trial didn't get dismissed. (laughs) So when Hotman himself was brought to the witness stand, he claimed his innocence, Mm -hmm. stating he had been beaten by the police and forced to produce handwriting samples that had matched the ransom notes. Along with that, Hotman's wife, Anna, gave him an alibi the night of the kidnapping. And, like, again, 1930s New York cops, like... There's also, like, not camp. Like, there's really, (laughs) as much as, like, we're probably moving closer to a police state, there was no laws back then. Like, we had laws, and they were, like, figurative. They're like, oh, you could probably kill that person. You could probably rob that bank. It'd be fine. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get to what law happened because of this kidnapping. Okay. Um, because it's it's a trip. So, again, his wife gave him an alibi, and after that, five weeks of trials and an eleven-hour deliberation by the jury, Bruno Hotman was found guilty. Mm-hmm. Wait. Yeah, also, that, just to mm-hmm. clarify, is this the nineteen forties or the nineteen thirties? Nineteen thirty-five. His trial was in nineteen thirty-five. Okay, so he did not see the end of the war. No. This is this is before World War II. Okay. Um, so Hotman was convicted and electrocuted in 1936. So you know how we were just saying like that the U.S. didn't have laws at this point. Yeah, we didn't. This was this was the case that made kidnapping a federal offense. Mm-hmm. Like this was the case. Yeah, that's same. <laughs> Public outrage. Imagine over this. just snatching a person and thinking it's fine. Like <laughs> no, like imagine that being like. A misdemeanor. Well, also, like, like this like, is why morality does like, not necessarily equal legality. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not illegal. It's not a federal offense for you to steal someone's child or, like, another person. But, like, just don't do but, like, it. But, like, what if you were so, a yeah. kind-hearted human being? <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts as to how kidnapping can be explained by a kind-hearted human being. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, the fact that it took so long for it to be against, like, a felt, like, it had to be a felony. If for this case to yeah. happen, it got elevated to a felony, whereas opposed to, like, we were just murdering people and being okay with it. Like, the fact that yeah, shootouts were a thing. Wild West, Wild West. Right? Like, it's just wild to me that no one was like, but what if you fucking didn't? Like... <laughs> You know, I think they were worried about influenza, and they had other things to worry about. I guess people were already dying, and they're like, what is what is life? It's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to stay alive. I don't have time to defend your life at this moment. We'll get yes. to it, maybe. It's always coming so, for me. I need a break. <laughs> anyway, so public outrage forced Congress to pass the Federal Kidnapping Act on June 22nd, 1932. So, like, it happened before... 
the baby, like, it happened, like, right after the baby um, was found dead. And it was before the trial happened, and by doing, and by passing this law, um, oh, wait, no, here's here's the piece I missed, because it made me sad, and I kind of didn't want to read it. Mm-hmm. So, it was, as I said, passed on June 22nd, 1932. That would have been Charles Lindbergh's second birthday. Mm-hmm. He passed it on his second birthday. Um... Yeah, so it became a federal cl- crime and stipulated that we could could be punished by death. That is, like, when this became, like, a real offense. Now, so Hotman was arrested, yada, 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 convicted, killed. Before I wrap up my story, though, I just, like, want to circle back to that Nazi detail I mentioned in, like, the first, like, bit of my story. Remember how I said we'd get back to that? Yeah, we're going to. So... The reason that Lindbergh Sr. was a Nazi supporter is because he believed in something called social Darwinism. <laughs> Never a great <laughs> sign. <laughs> no, it was eugenics. He, he believed in eugenics. And this is relevant because there was some proof that showed that the little eaglette was not very healthy. Um, he was likely affected by a rickets-like condition, and he was actually ID'd, as I said, by one of his birth defects. He had something called hammer toes, which was, like, his little toes crossed, and it was, like, made it hard for him to walk. And so, yeah, like, this baby was not perfect. He was not healthy. He was not this shining example of eugenics that Lindbergh Sr. believed in. And Lindbergh Sr., as I said, had taken total control of this investigation, isolating many of his staff members during it and from the investigation, including one of the baby's maids who ended up committing suicide. So, yeah, he separated everybody that would have been relevant from his household staff from the investigation, controlled the investigation, and demanded that the body would be cremated. Like, basically the same day that they found it. Mm -hmm. And just for the drama of it all, the only night that Charles Lindbergh missed a speaking event was the night that his son was kidnapped. He skipped a dinner and he went back to their house. And then that night, his baby was kidnapped. And that's all I've got. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, I should have done my my case second. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we should have we should have probably tried to end on a high note it's because fine. mine was not. Mine was not. Mine was a little bit sad, which is why it was the case yeah. of the century and why it was so widely like this was America's baby. Mm-hmm. And it was sad. Things were sad. So Cheetah, do you want to do a hot take to try to like Oh, I don't even get like tone? 5 minutes to absorb. All right. No. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you want to sit here in silence, have a moment of silence for the little eaglet? <laughs> Baby eaglet, that's so cute. Okay. Um, no. So okay, you you do need a hot take unless you would like me to attempt a hot take first. I would like I would like to do a hot take. Where did this take place again? New York. Yeah, the baby was kidnapped from New Jersey, and then everything else kind of happened in New York, and the trial happened in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay, my hot take is that the Lindbergh baby wasn't his. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think it was the like the wife cheated and it wasn't his kid? Yeah, I think it wasn't his kid, and then that's why he was he impaired the investigation into why the baby died because he knew the kid wasn't and, his and he didn't care. Interesting. That's wild. I mean, that said, the baby was expected. The baby is believed to have died the exact night the kidnapping happened. They believed it was just poorly handled by the kidnapper while he was climbing down the ladder. That oh, that doesn't that has nothing to do with my hot take. I like I oh. I don't think he orchestrated it, 
But I don't think, think he, he just let it happen. Cared that it happened. I think he was just like, baby's dead. Oof. Oof. That's a rough one. Yeah, because why okay. else would you, like, why would you go on the stand to talk about something that you didn't know about? That's... He was... I think the argument was he was a colonel, and there was a lot of jury sympathy for the American hero to go and talk about his dead child on stand. Yeah, but even as someone... I guess if he believed that Hoffman really did kill his child, that... Yeah, he, he was angry about it, and that's why he wanted to do that. But I feel like I'd be more concerned with like the truth of the matter. But I don't know; I've never lost a child. Mm-hmm. And this was also 1932. Yep, laws were a little vague. Or sorry, 1935. Yeah. So, okay, okay, that's an interesting hot take. You don't think the baby was his? That would also be interesting because there is belief that Charles Lindbergh actually fathered children in Europe when he was doing his tour over there after successfully like flying. And that all of those babies came out healthy. Yeah. I mean, also, like, if he believed so strongly in eugenics, he would have his own reasons to believe the child wasn't his. That's fair. That's not getting into that one. I don't like that topic. Yep. (laughs) That's that's a hot take. Detour and security's hot take. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let's see. What is my hot take? Um, Can you tell me the name of your person again so I don't keep thinking her is Mrs. Abracadabra? Cynthia Abcug. Cynthia Abka. Cynthia. Cynthia Abka. So I'm going to say that her bodyguard was just a random guy on the internet trying to get in her pants. I don't even think that's a hot take. I think that just hasn't been (laughs) proven yet. I think that is like a fact of the case. This dude just literally so like hopped a, on a plane to live in our so household. Like, would it like so like would it be a better hot take to be like, no, I actually think he was a sniper? Yes. Like is that the hot take? Yes, that would be the hotter take. <laughs> um, okay, so that's that's gonna be my first half of the hot take is that Mr. Ryan, sniper man, um, first of all, had no qualifications and just wanted to get laid. And two, I don't think the baby was in Montana. I'm going to say that the baby was somewhere on the East Coast completely. Like, oh, they her were son. so off on this. Yeah, her son. Oh, I'm going to say yeah. that her son was, like, nowhere near Montana. And not even that necessarily QAnon was lying. Is that, like, someone just got it wrong. Like, someone legitimately didn't know the name of her child or, like, didn't bother to actually look into it and just said, like, hey, a child from Colorado is now in this area in Montana. This must be yours. Yeah. That's my hot take. Mm-hmm. Or, like... I have no idea why they decided to zone in on Montana. Perhaps they were just, like, in a state, and they're like, you know what? We're going to stop here now. Like. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's so Montana. I'm going to say Montana was not the correct state. Um, Yeah, those are our hot takes for the week. Sorry that this episode was a little bit sadder than we, I think, anticipated. I think we should have realized this when, like, researching kidnapping as a topic. Um, but we didn't. We, like, just did not. It's fine. Next week will be weird. If you have thaslophobia, I'm apologizing. Uh, what the... F- what is that phobia? Thaslophobia. I think it's the fear of open water. Oh, okay. There's also another phobia of just water. We should probably do a trigger warning for the next episode at that point. Okay. But also, you could be afraid of everything. We'll, we'll add a trigger yeah. warning. <laughs> but yeah, no, next week will be a much, hopefully, funnier or at least more lighthearted topic, potentially. We, I make no promises. Um, conspiracies and topics are weird. But yeah, so that, that's that been one of us was is lying. So yeah. Jada, do, oh wait, Jada, tell them where they can find us. Yeah, so you can go ahead and shoot us an email at one of us is at lyingthepodcast.com. 
And you can listen to us pretty much anywhere where you want to listen to a podcast. We're everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, like Spotify, everywhere. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our Instagram is one of us is lying the podcast or one of us is lying podcast. Same with our Facebook page. We did not get that as our Twitter handle, which I'm deeply upset about. Someone stole my handle. Um, And so instead we have... One second, let me see what our Twitter handle is, actually. Our Twitter handle is Lying the Podcast. So, again, our Instagram is One of Us is Lying Podcast. And then same with our Facebook. And then Lying the Podcast is our Twitter handle. Yeah. I encourage you guys to talk to us. We're bored. We're sorry for being away for, like, two weeks. We're coming back. We are. If you, we are. You're hearing the voice out of your eardrums. We're back. So we're here. <laughs> we're back. We're back, guys. Um, we, we did miss you. I don't know if you missed... We, we're going to go with you missed us because you're listening. But, yeah, reach out to us. We love hearing from you. It makes us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's quarantine. I have very little else to do besides respond. Yeah. Um, Gives me the energy to do more. <laughs> yeah. We like positive reinforcement. Hell, I'll take a negative reinforcement if you send it directly to our email and not, like, put it on a five-star review. Yep. <laughs> like, that's fine. So, stay suspicious and question everything. Bye, guys. See you next week. Or talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.